0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World. This is episode 449. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Laura. We are without Micah this week, but we are joined by another M. And this is a listener, a Slug Club member over on Patreon, Megan. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's good to have you on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um,
1: my name is Megan. Um, my favorite book is Order of the Phoenix, actually. So I'm really excited to be on. Perfect. My favorite movie is Chamber of Secrets. My Hogwarts house is Hufflepuff, Ilvermorny is Thunderbird, my Patronus is an eagle, which I think makes me a true (laughs) Huffleclaw. and my favorite teacher at Hogwarts. This took me a while to decide, but I'm going to go with Lupin.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, Well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on, and thank you for your support on Patreon. We really appreciate it. And on today's episode, we are discussing Order of the Phoenix Chapter Unlucky 13, Detention with Dolores. And this chapter is definitely very unlucky. But first, a news item. A lot of people got excited about this. I was unsure how people were going to take this news. (laughs) Um, The first official Harry Potter flagship store is going to be opening in New York later this summer. They are promising a brand new and unique experience dedicated to Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. It will house the largest collection of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts products in the world under one roof. Fans will be able to grab Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans, personalized robes, whatever that means, along with rare collectible items, hand-signed artwork, and exclusive ranges Um, They also are going to have house wands, whatever that means.
2: Yeah. I'm very curious about that.
0: Uh, Like, are they going to be like red, green, blue, yellow?
2: Maybe they light up in the house colors.
3: Oh, like how Harry's wand shoots red sparks in the books.
0: Yeah. That would be neat. This is one of those ideas I'm surprised hasn't come into existence sooner. Because we all love our house robes, our scarves, our house edition books, which we've spoken about in recent years, Mm -hmm. but never the wand. The wand has never been personalized by house, and one could argue that the wand is the most personal item in the wizarding world for a witch or wizard. So to combine the personalization of the house with the wands, that sounds pretty special.
3: I think I would buy one of those. I think maybe they've reached the peak of selling those individual character wands, though. It's what it is. It's like for, you know, 15 years, give or take five. Uh, they've been selling Bellatrix's wand, Voldemort's wand, Harry's wand, Hermione's wand. And so, you know, they've gotten a majority of the sales they're going to get out of those. I think they'll probably still sell them at this flagship store. But the house wand is like a genuinely new idea. Like you're saying like, oh, we never thought of this. Could be a cool idea. Yeah, right.
0: So what do you guys think about this overall flagship Harry Potter store? I don't think we ever would have <laughs> predicted this would be coming.
3: I'm not sure that this is something that the um, like fans couldn't do better. I guess. I mean, in certain ways, yes, official licensed merchandise, great. But I wouldn't have expected sort of a hub of this commercialism. I guess it's it was it was both inevitable and it's a shame for me to see it because I was just at the um, Primark store in Boston a couple months ago, right after LeakyCon, and they've got an entire like half floor of licensed Harry Potter merchandise that is otherwise you can't find it anywhere else. And that is appealing for people who want to do like gift givings. Like I did most of my Christmas gifts from there and all that stuff. So like, it makes sense, but I also liked sort of the thrill of there's certain things you find at Premark, There's certain things you find at Universal at the theme park. Like, I don't know. It's, I'm torn because at the same time we have a lot of, like I had just decided to support fan artists and fan creators right. on Etsy and you're things, out of luck. Well we can still you're do not that. be able
0: to visit. Yeah, but you could you committed so you can't I mean you can walk in here but
3: you can't buy anything. I'm sorry. I I, I you know what I will I will accept that. <laughs> I will absolutely accept that. Like this is came at the worst time because <laughs> yeah. I had just agreed to not buy anything if it and They're I am taunting I you. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. I think that's it.
0: Laura, Megan, what do you think? Is this like something that sounds appealing or does this sound like just like a cash grab?
2: I think it just depends on how it's done. If it's done well, I think it could be a great experience. I mean, I see here in the notes that there's like a walk-up window and they've got signage outside for like coffee and ice cream and butter beer. Um, So while I might not necessarily be tempted to go on a shopping spree here, it could be a cool experience to just walk in and look around.
0: Yeah. Um, I love coffee. Me too. And I was very intrigued by them selling coffee. If they're going to do some sort of Harry Potter coffee and they're going to call it as such, um, I would be extremely into that. And please sell grounds that I can take home and brew at home. And yeah, you also mentioned the butter beer and the ice cream. I feel like they are going to be selling the same butter beer that is available in the theme parks. The studio tour does this. I think this is kind of just like an extension of what we see in the studio tour in London. I'm sure the interior is going to be beautiful, like the theme park stores, Mm. like the, the design and care that they put into the theme park. So I'll be very eager to check this out. I do also see a mention of Wizarding Passport right in the storefront, which is pretty interesting, too. So I'm sure this is going to be a big way to promote Wizarding World gold as well maybe they'll have a special lounge for wizarding world gold members micah and i can go hang out
3: (laughs) okay a lounge seems fun Um, (laughs) maybe they'll actually have pins when micah walks in and tries to get one yes i i bet this will become a location where you can get those pins but but then the other thing is um that we've been talking recently about a potential permanent home for the exhibition once it stops touring you know and It's been over, I think, 11 years now um, for the Harry Potter exhibition. So could it possibly just end up, I don't know, adjacent to this building on the other side of this building, Mm. wherever this building is going to be? You know, I don't
0: know much about this building, but I'm looking at the concept art and it's four stories. They say the shop is three stories. So is the fourth floor for storage or to Eric's point, Mm. could that be saved for future expansion, say an exhibition or more
3: merchandise? It's your Wizarding World Passport Lounge, Andrew.
0: Ah, yes. Where <laughs> we can play entire floor Harry Potter video games. We can listen to Harry Potter podcasts. We can complain
3: about where buttons are. I don't know. Um, but but... <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned podcasts. Well, I'm glad you mentioned podcasts because do you think there will be a dedicated event space? Oh, yeah. For, like, whatever they want to do. You know, like, the fourth floor of Barnes & Noble Union Square right. has that just whole area for... Crowd, like you know the little mini raised stage and like seating area for reading books, and like when there's not an event going on, it's independent reading time um but I'm wondering if the official store will kind of throw uh fans a bone there or but not even fans a bone, just give an opportunity for itself to be a, an event space, yeah, that's a great point i mean this this store could
0: turn into a central hub for all things Harry Potter hosting events, as you say, maybe hosting some charity events, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. final point on this this is coming to into existence because like i said a few weeks ago people are still really passionate about harry potter and they're still very eager to buy merchandise and you mentioned that shop eric that has a special harry potter section Barnes and noble has them too box lunch hot topic everywhere you go harry potter merchandise is available and it seems to be selling really well and they've got all kinds of partnerships with pottery barn and you know, you name it, they've got a partnership. So I feel like they, they recognize that Harry Potter merchandise sales are still strong, so strong that they could create a flagship store in New York and it'll be really successful because they know people still really want to buy the merchandise. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see one of these in Chicago's Magnificent Mile in San Francisco, because Cursed Child is also there. Like anywhere Harry Potter fans are going, one of these could be opening up one day. Mm -hmm. More to come. Before we get to chapter by chapter, just a reminder, we are running on a bit of a new schedule now. MuggleCast has been moved to Tuesday releases, so we have more time to put our rubber ducks in a row and get the episode out to you reliably. First thing, Tuesday morning. So before you head out to work on Tuesday morning, check for MuggleCast. It will be there. That is our goal going forward. Also, excited to announce a new Patreon benefit. We plan to announce a few later in the year, but one we can announce now. New patrons who sign up at patreon.com slash cast will get a personalized video message from one of the four co-hosts. This is really exciting. We're using a new... Tool that lets us um, easily see who our latest patrons are, and then send you a personalized video message. We're gonna have a lot of fun with these, so pledge at any level to receive one of these video messages over at patreoncom MuggleCast. Eric, I would like you to do cosplay for some of your thank you videos. Can you do that?
3: <laughs> well, maybe we'll have a little option. People should uh, uh, choose whether I'm a Gryffindor or a Hufflepuff, uh, or <laughs> or Elvis Dumbledore uh, for their video. Give that option. And Laura, what can we have you do? That would be fun.
2: Oh gosh. And I was thinking of making it almost like a Hogwarts acceptance letter, but a Patreon acceptance video. Ooh, that's
0: a good idea. Like,
2: dear Mr. I don't know, Sims. <gasps> we're pleased to inform you that you've been accepted at the school of Patreon and Mugglecast.
0: <laughs> Podcasting wizardry. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's great. These are going to be fun because like, we actually take the time to make a message for each person. So it's I think it'll be exciting for people to, to check these out. So we'll have fun with that. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You get that and a lot more, including the chance to co-host MuggleCast one day like Megan is today. Before we get to chapter by chapter, we have a returning sponsor this week who's here just in time for the new year. Make yourself new in 2020 with Care Of, a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best. Vitamins are important in our day-to-day health, but unfortunately, we can't knock on Madame Pomfrey's door and hope for a tonic or two that'll improve our well-being Maybe you need a B12 to support your vegan lifestyle. Maybe you need something to give you more energy or something to help support the lack of sunlight in your life. That's, uh, we all need help there. (laughs) Point is, Care-of offers you a personalized vitamin package. What you do is you take a short online quiz and answer some questions about your diet, your health goals, and lifestyle. And Care-of will recommend a list of vitamins and supplements specifically for your health needs and goals. It's way better than picking up some vitamins in the food store. The vitamin aisle can be confusing. It's hard to know what you need and where to start. So with Care-of's quiz, you answer easy questions like how much sleep do you get? How often do you work out? How often are you podcasting? How often are you reading Harry Potter books? Do you follow any specialty diets? Are you concerned about your hair, your skin, your nail health, and more? Follow Care-of's expert recommendations or adjust your pack at any time. What you receive is totally up to you. The convenient daily packs are perfect for an on-the-go lifestyle. Just throw one in your purse or gym bag, and you're on your way. I love these because they have your name on them. They come in a cute little box, and each one has some sort of daily fun fact or quote on it, so it's fun to grab one each day. I highly recommend taking a look at these, especially here at the start of the year, since we all take this time to look at how to improve ourselves. This is how to do it. And we've got a great deal for you. For 50% off your first care of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code MuggleCast50. Again, for 50% off your first care of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code MuggleCast50. All right. It's time now for chapter by chapter. Like I said, we're discussing Order of the Phoenix, chapter 13, Detention with Dolores. And let's start with our seven-word summary. Megan, you get to start no pressure
1: okay (laughs) new
2: ooh detention
0: arrives new detention arrives for
1: Harry (laughs) via (laughs) torture there we go
3: Wow. How pleasant. (laughs) That's what it is, right? We can all kind of agree.
2: Oh, yeah. A hundred
0: percent. It is absolutely torture, for sure. (laughs) And before we dive into the play-by-play analysis here, I just wanted to ask about Chapter 13 in general. Do you guys think, because this is a horrific chapter because of what Umbridge does to Harry, do we think Rowling purposely planned for such a permanent addition to Harry's hands to occur in chapter 13? Do you think she was like, I need to do something really bad? Well, I'm going to do something really bad to Harry. Let me do it specifically in chapter 13.
2: Yeah, I think so, because um, we have some wonderful notes here, actually, that indicate that the 13th chapter of each book contains some kind of major event for Harry um, that tends to be a bit unlucky.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I went through (laughs) each chapter 13. As I was doing this, though, I was thinking like something bad happens to harry in literally every chapter ever (laughs) yeah that's true maybe (laughs) in sorcerer's stone harry's worried about snape refereeing the quidditch match chamber of secrets this is a big one tom riddle's diary is discovered that's pretty unlucky uh prisoner of azkaban gryffindors win a quidditch match so that one not Unlucky.
2: Well, in that chapter though, that is when um Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle all dress up as Dementors and come onto the Quidditch pitch mm. to try and throw Harry's game because he's already had trouble with that.
0: Okay. But he soldiers through and still wins it, so that's good. Goblet of Fire, this was a big one. Trelawney makes predictions. She, as usual, says that death comes ever closer. And then she says she claims Harry was born midwinter, and that's not true. And while he wasn't, Voldemort was, and Harry is a horcrux, so maybe she was sensing the horcrux within Trelawney. Mm -hmm. That's something that you only realize after getting through the rest of the series. Uh, In Half-Blood Prince, we dive into the memory in which Dumbledore invites Tom Riddle to Hogwarts. You could argue that was unlucky.
2: Well, yeah, we saw Tom Riddle's whole tragic uh, childhood. And yeah. this this is such a cool, I think, um, connecting the threads between Half-Blood Prince and Chamber of Secrets, um, because when Harry goes into Tom Riddle's diary, one of his observations is how similar the two of them are. Mm-hmm. Like, he really identifies with Tom Riddle, and then we get to see Tom Riddle's background, and they both have this, like, equally tragic childhood. Yeah you know. Yeah,
3: and the diary was purchased in a muggle shop in London. Mm. I think which is a little clue mm. that uh, of of Tom Riddle's origins.
0: Mm-hmm. And then finally in Deathly Hallows the trio enter the ministry and Harry hexes Umbridge. So <laughs> that's a good mm. one to bring up in light of
3: what <laughs> happens in this chapter some sweet revenge. Yeah, but um but otherwise the chapter picks up right where the last one left off. It's right after sort of Harry and McGonagall and the biscuits, which is a really nice scene, but Harry's encountering a lot of whispers, um, not even behind his back anymore. When he goes into the Great Hall, people are openly gawking, staring, speaking, and Harry kind of really takes umbrage at that, Uh, and it's Hermione who has to say, Harry, you don't know what it's like you know, the ministry has been smearing you. The daily Prophet has been smearing you. And this is what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I do want to ask Mm -hmm. the question as always, what could Dumbledore have done to prevent this? (laughs) A question that could be asked in any chapter,
0: (laughs) what could Dumbledore have done and why didn't he do it? Yeah, I think, I think he should have made another statement to the school because he's seeing these kids have these inaccurate views of Harry and it's not healthy for Harry. It's not healthy for the school it's not healthy for
3: these students to be misled. Mm. It's just uh, this chapter in particular, especially because of what happens with Umbridge and Harry, I always like I'm just like, man, it's a real shame that Dumbledore has employed a policy of no talkie talkie to Harry because they should be hand in hand on some of these issues. Yeah. Um, and
0: what's something we learn when we grow up? We should be open about our feelings. We should be open about things. Let it out there. Yeah. Like there's this wall between them and it's not good for either of them. Well, mainly for Harry. <laughs> but I also did want to ask, do we blame the students for not believing Harry and Dumbledore? Because if we put the ourselves in their shoes, they didn't see Voldemort. They're reading these reports in the Daily Prophet.
2: Yeah, and also, much like Seamus, they're parroting their parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're parroting what they've heard at home all summer. And that's that's just what kids do. I mean, we see this in the real world all the time. I mean, I think we've all encountered somebody who says something that's like a little bit like out of left field and you're like, oh, you heard that at home, didn't you? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it's not the child's fault. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, you know, as they're progressing throughout their education and getting closer to coming of age, they begin thinking for themselves, which we see uh, that kind of transition later. But No, it's not their fault. Mm
1: -hmm. If it was me, I don't know if I would straight up believe Harry. Like, I wouldn't want to put blind trust in him just because he just came back with Cedric's dead body. I would ask questions like, how did he die? Instead of just, I don't know, believing the ministry. Like, oh, nothing happened, you know. So I would at least question it, even if I didn't outright believe Harry without anything.
3: I wonder if uh, the outburst from Harry uh, really prompted Umbridge to, I don't know, A, prepare an actual line about what happened to Cedric Degree, we were talking about this last episode, but also for the rest of her classes, because she's the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher for every level at Hogwarts. So she could very easily reach all the students within the next week or so to really kind of I don't know, ease some tensions, it's a good opportunity for Dumbledore to say something again, because this is an area where Umbridge has just failed to provide answers. Maybe Dumbledore really could say something and he wouldn't need to talk to Harry to do it. He could just get up on the podium, make an announcement and have that be that like, you know, there will be no further questions at this time. It really happened. That's my stance. Yeah,
0: I, I will play devil's advocate against myself and the rest of you now, though, because now that Umbridge is in the school, I don't think he can do this. Mm-hmm. Umbridge would stop it somehow. She would step up right after he was talking, she would hem her way into the speech and and say everything that Dumbledore's saying is not true. She would do something to disrupt the message that Dumbledore was trying to spread. Right.
2: And to that point, I also think that Dumbledore is not um you know, he's not unaware of all of the happenings over the summer, I mean, the Daily Prophet's been smearing him. He was booted out of the wise and gamut. So he understands what it looks like. And I think from an optics standpoint, it could just end up coming across to people who are already predisposed to think he's crazy. To think, oh, here goes grandpa <laughs> again, you know.
0: <laughs> Kooky grandpa spreading his nonsense.
3: Yeah. I think Dumbledore does have to be careful, to your point, to, to for about, like, his disobedience. Like, he has to really kind of yeah. toe the line in his own way because it's a very precarious position that we find him in. He, we know that he, the ministry removes him later this year, so yep. it's he can definitely sense the wind going. But speaking of disobedience, it was just this morning that Hermione, with Ron cowering in a chair somewhere... Had to go up to Fred and George and tell them off about their experiments on children. But when Harry and Hermione go up to the Gryffindor Common Room, what should they see except Fred and George with a bunch of young kids, like first years or so, coming in and they're passing out fainting fancies? Yeah. This is way over the top as far as I'm concerned. This moment, this is a moment where Fred and George, who I normally love, completely lost me because. We know they like to break the rules, but this is a direct affront. At this point, it's personal between them and Hermione. Hermione is trying to uh, protect the children of Gryffindor. She's trying to protect um, really pretty much everybody besides Fred and George from getting into trouble. And they've just so blatantly disregarded her.
0: Yeah, it's because they know they can get away with it. They know they can push their luck at least. They know Ron is not going to approach them. They're hoping that Hermione doesn't try to approach them, and they just aren't scared of Ron and Hermione. So they just go for it. Yeah,
2: yeah. so Hermione, uh, you know, uh, they really activated her trap card here. (laughs) She's like, (laughs) oh, yeah? Well, I'll write your mother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that that was brilliant. Um, I think, Eric, you had a point about this, though, that it's not below the belt. I, I think it is below the belt. They are scared of their mother. They know a howler could be sent, and they don't want to face that. Or another summer. I guess they could live at their on their own at this point, but they don't want to face their mother's wrath. And maybe they're also considering the fact that their mother is pretty fragile right now, if you think back to oh, what happened at 12 yeah. place, Place, like, place. They don't want to upset her. They don't want to stress her out more than... She already is, because, of course, deep down, they care about their mother and, and they don't want to hurt her. So to think that their mother might be hurt by this mischief that they're up to. So hurts? what makes
3: it below the belt? I think it's perfectly fair. I think it puts them what they're doing in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, like, and Hermione only totes it out as a matter of last resort, because she's asked Ron to join her multiple times. Ron, you coming, Ron, you, he says, I think you got this, whatever, whatever, he shrinks away. And she even asked them. And then they say that it's okay because they're paying the students who are volunteering. And I'm thinking two things. One, I'm thinking, does that make it okay? And it's because Harry, uh, who's watching the whole thing from across the room, instinctively feels like, they didn't properly tell the kids what they'd be getting into. They seem to be confused when they wake up from their fainting. Uh, and so Harry's like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't, they definitely didn't tell people. And then second, who, whose money are they using to pay these kids, by the way, for the, for their being test subjects? Is it part of the thousand galleons? Because I think that Harry probably wouldn't enjoy uh, seeing his money used in that way. No, probably not. <laughs> so It's just very problematic. And I'm like, so, so mm. I feel like, Hermione needed to put a stop to it. She was getting zero support from Ron and slightly uh, more support, but not much from Harry. And I think that bringing in their mother was the only thing she could do reasonably to get it to stop. Yeah. Short of taking 100 points from Gryffindor House, which affects everybody. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, they do, Fred and George do mention that they've already tested all the products on themselves just to make sure that, you know, they're not poisonous or detrimental in any way but what if one of these kids had some kind of allergy you know
0: exactly testing them on themselves is not does not mean that these things are safe because as you say laura other bodies can have different reactions to these
3: treats and just just the previous chapter they said there's no cure for the nosebleed nougat (laughs) (laughs) just bleed out yeah they just bleed out you shrivel up he says so I I honestly think that maybe they they haven't been testing all of them on yourselves, but the point about the allergy is the good one. So I'm glad at least for now it seems like Fred and George are having their I don't know their their regular cavalier processes kind of put into check. Mm-hmm. But if Hermione didn't do it, nobody would be doing no. it. So I and I, and I, we mentioned this last year. I, uh, Micah I think mentioned this last uh, week as well. But where are the head boy? Where are the head girl? Who are they? presuming they're they're here um you know to put a stop to it but really fred and george are running rampant it's kind of for me this was seeing them usually brings a smile to my face and this time it was the opposite i was like these guys actually kind of suck right now because this is the last thing any of us need Mm -hmm.
0: that's why micah isn't here this week by the way he went to go look for the head boy and head girl (laughs) and he's also gonna try to um he's gonna sample some biscuits over in england while he's over there he's (laughs) really curious.
3: You know, it's funny though because I also turn on a dime uh when it comes to thinking about Hermione in this chapter cuz very next she comes back to where Ron and Harry are sitting and starts pulling out these hats that she's been knitting for, for the house elves. Yeah. And this is a point where I can't get I can't get with Hermione on this. She is deliberately hiding these hats underneath rubbish that we know the house elves are the ones who kind of clean up tidy up around here she is attempting to free hogwarts elf labor without doing it through the proper channels this is a guerrilla campaign right to free them right
0: and that's the problem that that seems below hermione Mm -hmm. to try and free them in this way why not go to Dumbledore or McGonagall and put on a presentation on why these house elves should be freed and how Hogwarts can still run without the house elves. Her mission is good. I don't think anybody wants to fault her for freeing the house elves. However, the way she's going about it is all wrong. And then it also seems below Hermione to assume that this plan is actually working because it's noted multiple times that these hats are, are disappearing very frequently and she can barely keep up with the demand for these hats but of course as we learn later it's been dobby who's taking them all because the house elves are insulted by
3: <laughs> by somebody trying to free she them actually is doing more work for dobby because he's the only one who go near the gryffindor common room. yeah right <laughs> um but actually even though that's a funny development and we learn it later it brings up the question would this actually work if if the house elves were to pick up clothes we assume they do the laundry right i mean we assume they do hogwarts Mm -hmm. students robes all the time so they pick up clothes these are clothes um i guess the magical or i don't know if it's magical or not but the intention behind these clothes is to free them so that would change but i would tend to think dumbledore would be the only person who could like give a sock to an elf and have it mean anything right right
2: and also he would have to personally deliver it i mean Chamber of Secrets is a perfect example. Harry tricks Lucius Malfoy into freeing Dobby by placing, what was it, a sock mm-hmm. in, in the diary. Um, and then he sort of thrusts it at Dobby. So he is literally giving Dobby clothes at that point. But leaving clothes around for an elf to pick up is not the same thing. And I'm actually kind of surprised mm-hmm. that Hermione thought this would work.
1: I was going to say because the the elves later are insulted by it where Hermione would just put out clothes and put like garbage on top and then she thinks, I don't know, kind of playing off their, I don't know, stupidity if she thinks like trying to trick them into picking it up but they see it right away and they're too smart for that so they're kind of insulted by it. Yeah,
3: that's a really good point because she doesn't, even though her heart we agree is kind of in the right place she 's not respecting their intelligence enough to really come up with a better solution mm-hmm.
2: How about the fact that literally every service that's provided to you at the school is from slave labor, so maybe you boycott eating at the in the great hall. <laughs> Maybe you do your own damn laundry. Right. Like, I don't, I don't see Hermione refusing to take advantage of the slave labor. She just, she's just complaining about it.
3: I can see Hermione going on a hunger strike and also leading teams of people down to the lake and showing them, educating them how to hand wash your laundry. She comes from a muggle family. Like, I'm sure that at one point she's uh, cleaned clothing in a sink, you know, or something. So she could really be much more effective than she is. Mm -hmm. I think this is a moment of very economical character development from the point of J.K. Rowling to like have her do this. But it raises, I think, a lot of questions. and, And chief among them being, don't the house elves serve at the pleasure of the headmaster? Wouldn't he have to free them? Without having a conversation with Dumbledore, she can't hope to actually attain her goal.
0: I just chalked this up to a kid being a kid. This is something Hermione would look back at later and just go, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. And now that she's the minister for magic, maybe she could make a difference in Hogwarts in terms of the house elves being there. Oh, yeah.
2: I was going to say also, I think to Hermione's credit, she is fighting an uphill battle here. Nobody takes Spew seriously. She, I mean, even Harry and Ron... Who I would say are, are good, relatively moral people have kind of treated it like, oh, this is Hermione's little cause, you know. Yeah. We, we don't really indulge her on it all that much. Um, and it, it comes across kind of crazy in the context of this world where house elf slave labor is just normal.
3: Mm-hmm. Here's the comparison I'll draw. Uh, veganism and meat eating like we needed something we needed an alternative that was easy like the impossible burger we you know now you can go to burger king and get the impossible Burger. right um before that you might have hated animal cruelty you might have hated the beef industry and what it's doing for carbon emissions and all this other stuff but it's like oh become vegan or or start eating more plant-based food and get rid of meat Um, cut out meat, how am I going to do that? How on earth would I even begin? Right. Well, things had to exist. The, the, The method had to be put in place first. People need to be given the alternatives, shown the alternate method, and it needs to be, unfortunately, as easy as possible for them to switch in order for them to stop. And that's, Hermione needs to, I mean, I guess in order for it to work easier, should have shown people the alternative to using the elf labor at Hogwarts. That's a great point.
2: Which should be easy. The alternative is magic. (laughs) Like, we've seen that Mrs. Weasley uses magic to cook. Yeah. You can use magic to cook. You can use magic to wash your clothing. Like... I mean, if people were able to vanish their poo away, you can't tell me (laughs) that you couldn't just like magic your clothes clean without having to like physically wash them. So
0: that's what Hermione should have done an after hours class where she teaches people how to clean their own clothes, how to make their own food and do everything else
3: that the house elves currently do. And if you don't want to politicize it, you don't need to say this is to free the elf labor and all this stuff, but it's making people independent for the future when odds are when as soon as they leave Hogwarts, they're not going to have elf labor doing all these things for them. That's a good point too. Yeah, like you better get ready for the real world. So, I think we've solved it, you guys. I think we've We did. Absolutely. <laughs> so, we actually have a really good care of magical creatures class, and I just got to say, I know that Harry is sad about Hagrid, but it's really refreshing in this chapter, to get a class that seems perfectly conceived, well executed, and bottom line, interesting, right? With no catch. We learn about bow truckles. Fascinating.
0: And it feels like an Easter egg in hindsight because <laughs> bow truckles
3: take center stage
0: in Fantastic Beasts.
3: They do. Yeah. And it's 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 we learn that they're tree guardians, that they live mostly around wand trees. Uh, particularly the trees with which um you know Olivander finds uh wandwoods. And he uh has to be a pretty skilled wizard, we learn, because <laughs> bow truckles have really razor sharp, uh pointy bits and also get very defensive of defending their home. So it's kind of it made me really appreciate Olivander learning more about Bow Truckles.
0: Yeah. And Megan, you found some pretty interesting information about bow truckles, right?
1: Yeah. I think in the book it says they eat wood lice and then fairy eggs. And this stood out to me because I realized I didn't know much about fairies in the Harry Potter universe. So I kind of did a little research. Um, They're mentioned a few times in Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire for decorations, um, particularly at the Yule Ball when... Hagrid and Madame Maxine were having their conversation. She gets up and swarms of fairies rise up around her. Mm. Um, And then in the Fantastic Beasts book, it says they can lay up to 50 eggs at a time on the underside of leaves in those wand trees and that there are kind of two types. They're either conjured by wizards for decoration, like we've seen, or found in woodlands. Mm.
0: Interesting. I wonder if all these little pieces of Fantastic Beasts were a signal that J.K. Rowling was really interested in creating a whole other story uh, this early on, even while writing Order of the Phoenix, because I think about Bow Truckles, I think about these Newt references in the previous <laughs> chapter. It's like J.K. Rowling was itching to go this direction, and she did say... it later on that like if this was if I was going to write another story, this was going to be the one because I do feel most passionate about it. So we do see some hints of it here.
3: Yeah. And Grubbly Plank has a good humor about it. She's teaching the class. She says, if angered, they will gouge out human eyes with their fingers, which, as you can see, are very sharp and not at all desirable near the eyeballs. She's she's a great teacher, you guys. She's humorous. She's like informative. And the lesson is to take a a bow truckle carefully and just draw after close enough inspection, like look at it long enough that you can draw a sketch and label or identify the body parts. Yeah. Like she's doing this with live beasts. It's not like they had to dissect a toad and do this or anything like that. And in fact, Harry loses his, (laughs) it goes off into the woods. (laughs) But I, I think that it's just a really good class and evidence that, Whatever hole Grubbly Plank lives in when Hagrid's the teacher, uh, she should be sort of full time all the time. And
0: was that J.K. Rowling's goal, to make her an attractive teacher so we as a reader don't really miss Hagrid too much? (laughs) Or maybe the students?
2: I think it's intended to generate internal conflict because you're like, very much like Harry in this instance, where you're like, oh, I love Hagrid and I care about Hagrid. Oh, but she's actually a better
0: teacher. (laughs) Right, right. You know? Also, I will just say, I think she has the worst name out of any Harry Potter character in the series. Grubbly Plank. It was like J.K. Rowling was thinking of a name for this teacher. She's like, okay, Professor Grubbly. I don't know. That's not dumb enough. I need to add a second name to this professor's last name. I know Plank. It just makes me think of a moldy piece of wood. I just think of like a pirate walking on a (laughs) plank. Out to their death.
2: Well, speaking of Bow Truckles, um, rereading this was really interesting to me because I feel like I, I had forgotten that they can actually inflict physic like real physical harm. Because in Fantastic Beasts, they're kind of cute. Mm-hmm. You know? And I I don't know. I just I, I wonder if we're going to see more. Of the dark side of bow truckles moving forward.
0: Fantastic Beasts and the dark side of the bow truckle coming November 2022. We're
3: gonna get like an evil bow truckle, like an evil C3PO. Or yeah, whatever. it's just like a black bow truckle, maybe a little bigger.
0: Yeah, like Newt carries this thing in his pocket where the bow truckle could easily access his eyeballs. So that does sound. Pretty dangerous. Newt is a
3: badass.
0: He must have a really good relationship with the Bowtruckle because I wouldn't want to risk
3: that. Yeah. Well, wasn't it that wasn't it that Pickett was uh, picked on by the other Bowtruckles? Oh. He's like the Rudolph of the uh, the Bowtruckles. Aren't
1: his hands like leaves? So they don't, don't have the
3: sharp sharp. He's been maybe uh Twain maybe soon. neutered.
1: They'll oh, never right.
0: make the Bowtruckle evil because it is a product they could sell in the flagship Harry Potter store, and if it's evil, nobody will buy it.
3: Wait, wait, wait. You're wrong because Death Eater stuff sells all the time, like hotcakes. Oh,
0: that's true. Mm -hmm. So the bow truckle will start appealing
3: to the dark Harry Potter fans who. But I like that Pickett has leaves for hands because he's a man of peace and not a man of war. Hey, man, peace and love. I also feel like,
2: from the description in the book, I, I envision the bow truckles to be larger than how Pickett is depicted in the films. So maybe he's like the runt of the litter. Like
0: maybe. Yeah. I suppose they had to make Pickett small enough to fit into newt's pocket. So that could be a factor. Cause it is cute. Well, I always
3: imagine uh walking sticks. Aren't they called the bugs that are, that you, you literally think they're like part of a leaf or part of a, part of a tree. Oh yeah. Mm. I, th- I think about those a lot, but um, Harry does openly kind of ask what's with Hagrid. Uh, and, Gregory Plank, um, I think, directly answers that it's none of it. I forget exactly what happens. But Malfoy overhears, um, of course. And actually, this is kind of a very weird, unexpected moment for Draco to come and kind of make fun of Harry. But he really lays on thickly that Hagrid is up to something big. Yes. And also might have been injured. We know that this is true. Mm-hmm. Both of those things. Yeah. How does Malfoy know?
0: I think you have an idea, Megan.
1: Yeah. I had just looked ahead and later in the book when Hag- Hagrid's telling this story, um, there was the old, Ger- old Gerg that got thrown out and the new Gerg had told the Death Eaters about Hagrid and Madame Maxime. So he knew that McNair, one of the Death Eaters, was looking around the mountains for them. So that probably got back to the Malfoys at some point.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it must really suck for Harry to know that Malfoy knows more than he does. Malfoy is more in the know, thanks to his father, while Harry's father, so to speak, Dumbledore, is not talking to him or giving him any info at all.
3: Yeah, it's an opportunity for Harry to feel uh, pretty left out, which, Mm -hmm. you know... There's kind of a tonic to that, which is this resilience of, of his friends to really come together. And I've written, you know, what happens next? I think Luna Lovegood is Harry's best friend right now. Definitely his fiercest ally. They're going to Herbology and Luna comes out the door, sees him, goes right up to him and says, I believe you. Yeah. And says that I believe this happened and I believe in you. And, you know, he doesn't know what to expect. He's too busy thinking, oh, I'd rather have, like, sane people believing me and say this. But that was a hell of a thing, can we just acknowledge, for Luna to do. Yeah, for sure. "Mm -hmm." I mean, think about when you're low in life,
0: and maybe you don't want to talk about the things that are going on. And a good friend of yours, or an acquaintance, like Luna would be at this stage, just comes up to you and says, I believe
3: you. But even Hermione throws shade on Luna, and she again mentions the quibbler. And she says that Harry can do much better than Luna. And I'm thinking, girl, are you reading the same book we're reading? Because we're talking about Daily Prophet smearing Harry. And here's the quibbler, an alternative uh, that isn't government run. And you're going to you're going to trash it because what? It's not, I don't know, popular or it's not official or it's not, you know, like her problem. I, I think that we have found an area of hypocrisy for Hermione here uh, in the way that she initially treats Luna.
2: Yeah, agreed. She's not seeing the value in allyship, right? Mm. Allyship does not mean that you necessarily believe all the same things as the person that you're attempting to ally with. But it shows that you believe their experience, and it normalizes that belief. And the fact that Luna is like, she doesn't care what people think. She is an She very much uses her own head, which is something the vast majority of the student body is not doing right now. So I agree. Hermione is definitely overlooking the importance of Harry having an ally so strong that they would, in front of the whole student body, loudly proclaim, I believe you. Yeah. And then that opens the door for Ernie McMillan to come up and do the same thing.
3: Yep. Yep. I mean, it's, it's a snowball effect, and it's a really lovely thing. Like, Luna just did the right thing. This is what you need to hear. And Harry's a little, you know, not smart enough to realize it, but he needed to hear this. Um, And then also in this chapter, Angelina Johnson is kind of a jerk to Harry. So he really needs as many friends as he can get. Um, Angelina is holding Quidditch tryouts. This is obviously something that Harry would innately want to be a part of. but. He can't because of detention, and he is a little hesitant to tell her. And really, this is the point where we get to the namesake part of the chapter, detention with Dolores. I guess I'm trying to read back or trying to remember when I was 15 and reading this book for the first time, what I expected out of detention.
0: Well, Um, what's pivotal here is that before this chapter, You just see Umbridge as an annoying teacher who's mean. It's another Snape. But then once you see what she does to Harry in this chapter, she goes from that to just pure evil. To force a student to cut themselves again and again over a period of four days and not stop until he is bleeding to her satisfaction. That is pure evil. So the first time we read this, I think... You're just seeing her as another Snape. And then once you get through that, you're like, wow, yep, she goes beyond Snape. She is a horrible human being.
3: And this is just the beginning. I think that's a good point. I think that this chapter very quickly sets her apart from even Snape. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right on that. Um, but I, I kind of have to laugh because Harry is woefully unprepared to handle this situation. He does the best he can in terms of Bearing the pain. He says, you know, he won't give her the satisfaction of um, seeing him, you know, openly wince, really. But he does go to the first detention and say, Hey, can I have off Friday? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is is clearly, there's no universe in which this would have worked. No.
0: And probably not for any teacher because, as Umbridge brings up, the point of detention is to take you away from things you would be doing otherwise, especially something that might be really meaningful to you. And it's to teach you a lesson that if you didn't screw up, you could have been at that quidditch tryout, but you're not because you messed up. So don't mess up again.
3: Yeah. And it, it's interesting that it just ends up that Harry can kind of see the pitch from the window and he's able to pretty much figure out most. He's like, he's able to basically catch trials anyway. Um, which is a weird choice, but kind of fortunate. Um, But really, on that line, I don't think Umbridge is wrong. It's just on the actual detention process. Mm -hmm.
0: So what do we make of this actually happening at Hogwarts? Umbridge torturing a student like this. And I really have to give it to Harry to not even wince during this, because I
3: would. I'd be screaming. I question how the quill was first conceived, why it exists. Yeah. This is not something that Umbridge made. It's something she procured, surely. Mm -hmm. But why would something like this even exist? Is this one of those medieval torture methods that Filch keeps wanting to bring out? Or This does sound medieval.
2: Yeah, I think also, as I was reading this, I was like, does Dumbledore really not know that this is happening. Hmm. Like I just you know, we we always hear that Dumbledore knows what's going on in the school. Right. So I'm like, do you know? And just are you like doing the whole for the greater good thing <laughs> and just being like, well, sorry, Harry, you just <laughs> gotta live with it. Is
3: this for the greater good? Could one argue that? If he draws the line at Trelawney not being able to be physically removed from the school. Why is he allowing his students to be mutilated, especially Harry? Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like he would know. Does he ever find out about this later? I can't really I remember. I don't think so. And it's, I don't think it's like in the movie where everyone does it, like everyone gets detention like this, think it's just Harry.
0: Yeah. I, if I were Harry, I definitely would tell Dumbledore and Umbridge at some point. Well, obviously, Harry runs out of time with Dumbledore by the end of the next book, but... Uh, maybe tell McGonagall at some point, like, hey, this was happening at Hogwarts. Can you make sure this never happens at the school again, please?
3: Harry just, it's so interesting how internally Harry takes this uh, this task. Um, He sees it as Umbridge, like in a person, uh, it's a personal attack on him. The line he has to write is, I must not tell lies. I must not. And it's a personal confrontation between him and Umbridge over this the sanctity of the truth, of telling the truth. And I think that he really just internalized he makes it a personal war. And he knows that if he goes to his head of house or goes to Dumbledore or goes to Madame Pomfrey, that they that, you know, they might take the appropriate actions and stop her from doing this. But he doesn't want to give what he sees as the satisfaction to Umbridge of having to be rebuked. And yeah. he's like, I will bear this. Do your worst. And I think that's so heroic of Harry, despite, you know, we really feel bad for him.
0: Yeah. Another sad thing about this is something that I brought up at the end of last week's episode. Those scars stick with Harry for the rest of his life. You still see them on his hands in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And when you're, when you're watching it from far back in the theater, you probably won't even notice. But if you look at publicity photos of the actual show, you see the scars on his hands and, I guess they made a point to include those because it speaks to the darkness that is still within Harry. You don't see those in the movie after, after movie five, right? <laughs> I mean, that stuff is gone. So they must have put those on just to, like I said, make a point about things still disturbing Harry, even in his later years.
3: Yeah.
2: It does make me wonder, um, has Hogwarts protocol changed at all since the trio went? Like, are they confident when they send their kids to school? Like, yeah, this is going to be fine.
0: <laughs> right. You would be uncomfortable, wouldn't you? Well, I guess knowing that McGonagall is running the show might assure them.
1: It's no longer a security nightmare. Right.
0: It's all over. <laughs> Dumbledore's out. <laughs> Good times to be had at Hogwarts now. I don't know. I would, Laura send my kid there and keep a close eye on things that are happening i would maybe write to them and be like hey is everything okay how are things going are the staircases still moving are the house elves still there um is mcgonagall actually monitoring everything that's going on are you aware of any dark magic or dark items yeah
2: yeah i also feel like culturally in the wizarding world there's just this sort of tacit acceptance that this is just the way things are
0: (laughs) just deal with it yeah it's just normal
3: (laughs) welcome to hogwarts things will
0: always be messed up
3: i mean it it eventually gets worse with the electus and electo and amicus uh performing spells on the kids right right um i think anything from there is is can only it can only go up yeah Um, That was definitely rock bottom. No, but I would
0: actually argue that after the events of Deathly Hallows, things got a lot better at the school. I bet they've made a lot of changes. You think about, like I said, McGonagall running the show, then you have Hermione as the Minister for Magic. I think they would both work together to create a safer environment at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I say this and now people are going to bring up stuff in the Cursed Child that happened that are probably like security nightmares.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Most of that happened in Harry's fourth year, so it doesn't count.
0: True, true. Uh,
3: So we all agree Umbridge sucks. She will continue to suck. Um, I don't think anything she does is more horrendous than this, though. I think that this is not only the first, you know, sort of most shocking thing that she does. But it allows and it had to be shocking, right? It it had to kind of get all the readers on the side of, oh, this is an awful person so that we can kind of relish her fall from grace and power. It's a long time coming. It takes it's another seven or eight months before she's gone. But mm-hmm. it's 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 just unfortunate because this is actually very horrifying. Yeah,
0: that's a great point.
3: Yeah, but um, we find out the results of Quidditch and uh, Angelina made Ronald Weasley a keeper. He's a keeper, everybody. He is a keeper. The great thing, and I appreciate Angelina's bluntness. She says to Harry, I know he's your best mate, but he's not fabulous. I think with a bit of training, he'll be all right. He comes from a family of good Quidditch players. I'm banking on him turning out to have a bit more talent than he showed today. This is good advice. And I think that she doesn't specifically boil it down to nerves. We know Ron suffers from nerves and has that as a real problem. But I tended to forget that I think even Bill and Charlie were on the Quidditch team. At least one of them was a beater. Might have been Charlie. But now it's Fred and George, obviously. And that's a kind of a good reminder for me. Oh, yeah. Ron comes from a successful Quidditch family. And we know Ginny eventually takes it professional. Right. The things she said about Ron... Are worth
0: discussing because she was not her favorite pick, true, this kind of sucks, and I'm sure Ron isn't aware of this, right? <laughs> he was right, yeah, <laughs> look, this happens, yeah. and I mean, how are people who suck supposed to get ahead in the world if they don't <laughs> occasionally run into opportunities like this
3: yeah i but i I don't blame Angelina for this thought process, she's letting Harry into it because she obviously trusts him, but Ultimately, this choice, particularly uh, Vicky, that she's involved in all sorts of societies and if training clashes is going to choose those over Quidditch, you need somebody as a captain you really want to put, and this is just anybody, as a hiring manager for a position, you want a candidate that's going to put this position first, that cares about it. And I think with Ron, you at least have Fred and George, his brothers there to keep him in check for any kind of bad temper moments. Um, so it does make a lot of sense. I could just appreciate that. I mean, it yeah, it sucks for Ron being third best. Um, and if he knew that he would never play, like you said. Yeah. But I I think it really is smart decision-making on the part of uh, Angelina here. He's just got a golden opportunity to prove his worth. Mm-hmm. And this is all that he ever wanted. It was in his uh, Mirror of Erised, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Being a Quidditch captain mm-hmm. or something, being good at Quidditch.
2: And he proves himself later.
3: Yeah. 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 So good times. Mm -hmm. I believe that concludes our discussion of this chapter. Okay. So the Umbridge suck count
0: currently stands at 16, but we're going to add four to the board today. Eric, do you want to go through them?
3: Yep. Number one, being so cheerful about inflicting pain and devising this lesson plan in the first place. She is all smiles when Harry comes in. And that is... That speaks to her sadistic nature. That's really sick. (laughs) Yeah. So for coming up to this. Uh, Also, when he first finds out what the quill does, she dictates that it's going to last, each of these lessons is going to last until it, quote, sinks in and until the words on his hand bleed more easily. Awful. That I felt. That's worth two points. Yep, I agree. So relishing her... Yeah, add two, okay. Uh, But this is kind of the same point, just relishing that it causes him pain. Yeah, You know, her sadism is that an extra one, not an extra one, who knows? But then I also added being inflexible with the detentions. So we know she kind of has a point, but she really isn't willing to meet Harry halfway here. She's not even willing to meet him at all. She is the authoritarian. She's laying down her duty, like her authority, and so I thought that deserved a special suck as well. Okay. So I'd say add four. So. A special suck. I love a special suck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's add five. So that's one, two, three,
3: four, five.
0: I should just do that while you read each one, but I feel like it's disruptive. So I don't. Okay. So the new total is 21 laura i'm sorry i apologize i kind of stole your thunder at the beginning of this chapter by chapter by doing my own connecting the threads but what other threads did you find? oh
2: yeah no no problem at all i love that (laughs) um so
0: (laughs) i felt Um, like you at the beginning of the chapter i even dyed my hair purple so i could have like i could really be you you're gonna have to go pink because that's what i'm doing next oh man i can't keep up
2: so one of the first threads that I connected between Chapter 13 of Order of the Phoenix and Chapter 13 of Prisoner of Azkaban is this idea of mistaking the villain. So in Chapter 13 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Ron wakes up to see Sirius Black standing over him with a knife. Ron, of course, believes that Sirius was going to hurt him or looking for Harry rather. Um, But what he's actually looking for is scabbers a.k.a. Peter Pettigrew. Um, Then in Chapter 13 of Order of the Phoenix, Harry feels a searing pain in his scar when Umbridge touches him. And he tells Hermione that he assumes that um, she might be being controlled by Voldemort, similar to how Coral was controlled by him in Book 1. And ultimately here, we know that Umbridge is a villain, but she's not the villain, if that Mm. makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, then we also have some Draco manipulation and distraction tactics happening in chapter 13 of both of these books. So like I mentioned earlier, in Prisoner of Azkaban, chapter 13, Draco, Crab, and Goyle dress up as Dementors and enter the Quidditch pitch to throw Harry off his game. Um, really here, they're just trying to appeal to his fear and anxiety of Dementors. And then in this chapter. As we talked about earlier, Draco alludes to this idea of knowing that something bad has happened to Hagrid, again, appealing to Harry's anxieties here. And in this case, Harry's ignorance about where Hagrid is. Um, And it's all in an attempt to sort of like make Harry feel uncomfortable in his own skin especially in places where he should be comfortable, like the Quidditch pitch, like the Care of Magical Creatures class. Then we have this theme of Ravenclaw allies. So even though Harry and Cho are Quidditch rivals in Chapter 13 of Prisoner of Azkaban, um, playing against each other, both as Seekers, she actually alerts Harry to the quote-unquote Dementors on the pitch, Even though they're currently um, playing against each other, Harry ultimately still wins the match as a result of this. And then in this chapter, as we talked about earlier, Luna (laughs) announces for all to hear that she believes Harry without regard for how she might be perceived for that.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Thinking back to that moment in Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 13, when Sirius was holding a knife over Ron maybe not the best way to approach a child
2: <laughs> yeah but he's he's been in azkaban for 12 years he he's stunted
0: right he doesn't know how to present himself around other human beings I guess.
2: right also like what was he gonna do like show up and be like hey guys i'm serious black <laughs> um please don't be
1: alarmed i'm just here
2: to kill your rat
0: <laughs> <laughs> makes perfect sense dude go for it
1: i actually had one more um For Prisoner of Azkaban, um, just in Chapter 12, Harry is starting his nighttime lessons with Lupin, where he learns to protect himself from Dementors. And that's very different from his nighttime detentions with another D.A.D. Professor Umbridge, where she's actively harming him. Yeah, that's awesome. That's
2: like a direct contrast.
0: Yeah. Megan had to get a reference to her favorite character in in here. I think that's what (laughs) that was about. Time for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to Angelina for giving Ron this opportunity that he really wanted. It was the feel-good moment of the chapter.
2: I'm going to give mine to Ron for showing the value of reliability. You know?
3: Is that a joke? No. Because he doesn't stand up for Hermione at all when she's attacking Fred and George.
2: Well, I mean reliability when it comes to, like, Quidditch. (laughs) No, because it is true that I would rather if I'm like choosing somebody to work with and I have an A student and a B student, but the A student is totally flaky and isn't going to follow through and isn't going to show up, but the B student will, mm-hmm. I'd go with the B student because reliability and dependability are important. So and important. They, they can take you a long way.
0: Yeah. Just having those two aspects could probably get you anywhere you need to be in life to be honest with you i just got too real for me for a moment (laughs) eric how about
3: you (laughs) i gave mine for uh to the house elves for sticking it out um hermione is presenting them with a real challenge they also didn't you know they could go to dumbledore and say this crazy girl (laughs) keeps trying to free us yeah that's a good point too we don't want this like stop doing this Mm mm-hmm
0: I would just love to see the sit-down between Dumbledore and Hermione. If that happened, Dumbledore would have to approach Hermione, and I guess I can't see him doing it. Maybe he would pass the task on to McGonagall, but that would be an entertaining conversation. Hermione, please stop, right?
2: I don't think they would, though, because it is wrong, this whole culture of enslaving house elves. It's just morally bankrupt, but it's one of those things that... I think most people, if they stopped and thought about it for 30 seconds, they'd be like, yeah, that's kind of screwed up. But it's just sort of the way we've always done things. So and then, you know, they just go on with their day. So I think, as we mentioned earlier, Hermione's heart is in the right place here.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Um, I think that she's absolutely right that the wizarding world can't be built on the back of Uh, elvish slave or not elvish excuse me house elvish slave labor Um, but she's young and she doesn't totally have her bearings on what the most impactful and effective method for changing that is yet
0: Mm. yeah and finally megan your mvp
1: my mvp was luna for saying outright what she believed and what she thinks was thinks is right and she doesn't care what other people think of her. So
0: Harry really needed it in that moment. And now let's rename the chapter: "Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix," Chapter Thirteen: "The Second Scar."
2: I went with "Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix," Chapter Thirteen: "Lawful Evil."
0: You think this is lawful, huh?
2: It it's um
3: technically within the law.
2: Yeah. Also, it's it's a nerd reference.
3: Oh, it's fine. You're talking about the alignments uh, for Mm D&D. Yep. What? What is this nerdy?
0: (laughs) Andrew, you've never played D&D? Dungeons and Dragons? No, I have not. I have not. (sighs) Respect, though. I I respect that.
3: Okay. Uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 13, Torture with Dolores. It's a more accurate title, for sure. Yeah. A little straightforward there.
1: Mine was kind of similar Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, Chapter 13, Torture with the Toad.
3: Ah, alliteration. We got that
2: alliteration
3: going. Ooh, that's even better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you have any feedback about today's discussion, we would love to hear from you. Email MuggleCast at gmail.com or go to MuggleCast.com and use the contact form. You can also send a voice memo to MuggleCast at gmail.com or call us one nine two zero three 3 muggle That's one 368 4453 We... Admittedly, we haven't been including feedback much, but please send it in, and we will try to get some of it
3: on air. Okay, it's time now for some quizage. Yes, last week's question was, what uh, has Hermione been making over the summer? And uh, we learn in this chapter that the answer is uh, hats for the house elves. <laughs> She's been knitting them all year. Uh, correct answers were submitted to us by Count Ravioli. Beth McGaughy, Incessant Bookworm, The Cat's Pajamas, you and the Quizich player, Marie and Tara. Uh, congrats to all who contributed to that. Of course, we enter uh, on Twitter at MuggleCast, hashtag Quizzitch. And next week's question is, what does Cho refer to Ron as? Uh, to Harry. And it's a, it's a funny kind of succinct way of putting things Hmm. so
0: all right well thank you everybody for listening megan thanks for joining us today it was great having you on yeah thanks for having me it was fun if you would like to join our community today Head over to patreon.com MuggleCast. You will get instant access to lots of benefits, including installments of bonus MuggleCast. You will be able to see our planning docs so you can see what is coming up on next week's episode. You will also be able to hop into our recording studio because we live stream every episode as we are recording it. And we typically do that on Saturday or Sunday mornings. You will also get access to that new benefit. It's so new. It's not even on Patreon as I speak. We should really get that added. Uh, When you pledge, one of us will record a video thank you to you. And we're planning on having a lot of fun with that. I'm really excited to get started. So thank you for your support. It goes a long way. It means a lot to us, and it keeps the show running. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
2: I'm Laura. And I'm Megan. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye.